Welcome to Weed Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-hosts Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weed Kid Video. Old business. Old business. Old business. Another week, another long pod. Oh no. I'm excited. Average episode. I write somewhere between 12 to 15 pages of notes. <laughs> oh, fuck. I already know how many pages he was up to when he was halfway through the movie. Okay. Last week, Bill and Ted, long pod, 18 pages of notes. Yep. Solid. Solid. This week, 25 pages of notes. <laughs> Long pod. Worth yeah. it though. Two parts. I have, I'm going to be really annoying because there's so much that I don't get about this movie. That's fine. I have explanations for almost everything. Good, good. Because you're going to be explaining why I feel a certain way. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> this is definitely being released in two parts. Yes. There is no way that we are releasing this in one part. It would be our longest pod of all time. Smart. Longest ever. New business. New business. I love Brandon Lee. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just the whole episode. It's just going to be the soundboard. I love Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee's great in this. Brandon Lee's fighting skills are way better than everybody else's. I love Brandon Lee movies. This week, we're making the wrong things right because it can't rain all the time. We are talking about The Crow from 1994. There is a legend that a crow can carry a soul back from the dead to seek justice and put the wrong things right. You move your death. I'm dead. And I move. Brandon Lee. It's not a good day to be a bad guy. The Crow rated R. We love Brandon Lee. It's we the love best. Brandon Lee. Yeah. He's Five stars. No fucking round. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Six, six stars. Six. Ten. <laughs> I need to know why I rate it so heavily, though, because I there's unpolished that I need to ask about. You oh, know yeah, what absolutely. I mean? yeah. yeah, Yeah, I'm fucking jacked to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. I can tell. You went from uh, no energy to all of the energy. And, and slightly anxious. <laughs> yeah, really? he's scared of yeah, this episode. It's, this is going to be a little emotional for me. Okay. this it, I want to do this, mo- this movie right. Mm, yeah. 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 I yeah, really feel like I need to do this movie right. Directed by Alex Proyas. He's an Aussie. Oh, shit. I, I had no idea. That. You didn't know Alex Boris was Australian? I knew that name. I didn't know that he was Australian. So he was born in Egypt, but he moved here when he was aged three years old. Hey. So I class that as Australian. I mean, what a he great probably man. classes yep. that as Australian. Isn't it funny how all Australians who do great things are just such great people? Um, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> he went to AFTERS, the Australian Film Television Radio oh, School. Right. Yep. Ah. Which is a big deal around these I parts. Mean, yeah, the I mean only, for us, only real film and television yeah. school in it's Australia. Like the, right? It's like the equivalent yeah. of going to like NYU to, yeah, get, to study film. Yeah, UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, he became a successful commercial and music video director in the early eighties. Directed videos for oh, the music video oh, feels totally. hard in yeah, this. Absolutely. Yeah, directed videos for In Excess, Crowded House, Yes, Dope. 
He made his first feature, Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clowns. Oh, shit. Have you told us about this movie before? No, I've never mentioned this movie. Oh. In 1988 for about half a million dollars, shot on location in Broken Hill. Is it yeah. about the like, gremlins in the planes during the no, World War? you're just connecting oh. the word gremlins with me talking about the word gremlins in a different podcast. Fair. Yep. So it's also not about gizmo flying? No. No. Because that would also be a nice time. Not about no. World War One or Two. You know what? I've actually never seen it. It's hard to it's hard to track down, given that it's an Australian independent movie from the late eighties. Uh, like low budget. Is this during yeah. the Australian exploitation kind of period? Uh, it's more towards the end, and also he's coming at it more from like a, the artistic music video sure. point of view as opposed to the exploitation point of view. It was that film and his commercial work that got him the Crow. Cool. Which is his second film. Jesus Christ! How what do you f- make the Crow as your second film? Yeah, pure ambition and balls. Is how you that is insanity. Yeah. yeah. So after The Crow, he made the wonderfully underseen Dark City. They come when we sleep. Seeking a cure for their own mortality. To steal our thoughts. Our souls makes us different from them. To shape our memories. We have much to do. To take away all that makes us human. It is time. Who are they? Answer me! But one of us knows their secret. You saw something, didn't you? I don't think the sun even exists. And one of us... We are running out of time. Now escape. ...has the power to stop them. I have seen this. Yeah, it's wonderfully underseen. Is it super CGI'd? No, there's a lot of model work in it. Model there is a work. lot of yeah, there is a lot of visual effects. Yeah, computer visual effects. But oh, so have I seen it? I don't know if you've ever made it all the way through that movie. I have no. I feel like it might be one of those ones that you've it shown was me, like the first shot movie. in Sydney, and I have worked with actors that were in that movie. Yeah, and talked to them about the making of that movie. I have no memory. <laughs> of they what called it, in it. They said that on set they called it dark shitty. Aww, because I don't think it was a uh, good time. Aww. <laughs> Anyway, also, also that's just very Australian. It's very Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was good. <laughs> he also made Garage Days, which is set in Newtown. God, a demo. They're so expensive. Where are we going to get 1200 bucks? Tam, what about your parents? Is to bleeding your parents dry. I envy you musicians. No cares. No money worries. No money <laughs> <laughs> Meet Nelly. I will not let her out of my sight, ever. This is all I've ever wanted, to be up on stage and have everyone loving my music as much as I do. Before a feast, there must be famine. One phone call, one gear, can change your whole life. What if you finally got your big break? That's what it's all about, man. We're going to remember this night forever. Stop. And you just plain sucked. All right, we're going to take a break, so nobody leave. Me, a rock star? Days. True or false? Precognition is the ability to see into the future. What, like me and you going out on a date or something? Dream on. 
<laughs> and then he had some big budget success with Will Smith, iRobot. Oh, ah. shit. Right? Which was pretty groundbreaking for his visual effects at the time. I say what you will. I love that movie. <laughs> I have a fond pl- place in yeah. my heart for that movie. And he worked with Nick Cage on a movie called Knowing. Oh, is it good? It's a weird movie. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get picked up to do something more impressive just after doing The Crow. The Crow. Well, he came back to Australia and made two movies. Mm. Made Dark City and Garage Days. His last film is Gods of Egypt. Shut oh. up. I need to see that now. Which I know I'm alone on this island, but I kind of like that movie. I reckon I would be fucking down for it. It's it's wild and bad. It's and full of the most insane choices. Dude, Brian I've seen Brown, some clips of it. Shot in Australia. Brian Brown plays an Egyptian god king. <laughs> Okay. It is. And I have no idea Brian into, Brown was People in it. like Muddy, because it's shot in Australia, right? Hectic. Entirely shot in Australia. It's got Gerard Butler. Yes. The, the guy, what, the incest brother from Game of Thrones. Yeah, 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 name. yeah. It's got Lottie from Yellow Jackets, who's Australian. Oh, right, yeah. She's in it as well. I watched like the first half hour of it the other day, and it is just as insane as I remember it being. Oh, I'm so glad. And, and here's the thing. It's not a good movie, but it has this kind of adventurous spirit to it, throwback spirit to it. And I think if the movie was not called Gods of Egypt. Yeah. Because it is a science fiction fantasy film, and it had that clear. so much promotion. It would be it would be more beloved in the ins- people who enjoy insane choice cinema. I can see right. the connection between like Dark City and Gods of Egypt massively. Yeah. Hey, yeah. and it is a movie that is just there are parts of it that are just completely cartoony CGI and I just don't care. I like it and I usually hate that shit. So yeah. Yeah. that movie lost almost a hundred million dollars. Oh. It was a pretty big budget movie, wasn't it? Yeah. So he hasn't made a movie since then. Yeah. He's currently working on an alternative for YouTube for short filmmakers. <laughs> Vimeo? Called Vidiverse. Vidiverse. Uh. Yep. And developing virtual production tools to create live action virtual backdrops in real time using Unreal Engine. He's moving into virtual production. Okay. That seems like a natural step for him. He's directed a few shorts recently, including a spiritual sequel to Dark City, huh. which I've not seen, but it's out there. I'm not going to pay for the subscription of Vidiverse to watch it. Mm-hmm. And he's talked about developing Dark City into a TV show. Okay. Yeah, cool. Which I think is not a bad idea. He is currently, at the time of recording, running an Indiegogo campaign to finish a short film called Dark Sister. He spent almost $250,000 of his own money on it. Fuck. Shot entirely on green screen using that same tech. There's a sample scene on the Indiegogo, and aside from the writing and the acting, it looks pretty good. (laughs) It also steals the score from Vertigo. For, for his little mini like trailer. As a, like as a, like just a just holding steals, place. Just steals the music, oh. yeah, yeah. So that's an instant five stars from me. So, so he's a bit insane. I think he's had some battles. Yeah, right. right? And has decided that he's going to do it his way. Yeah. As of today, he had raised just under four grand of the 50 he was trying to raise. Okay. With wow. a week left to go. Guys, get there. I might have found the problem. His perk tiers start at $10. For $10, you get a digital signed poster of the short film. Mm, NFT? No, no, no. No NFT. Digital signed. And then they jump, it jumps to $100 for a digital signed poster and a one month subscription to Vidiverse (laughs) worth $4.50. 
Yeah, I think you might have found the problem. For starters, but you, know, you need some cheaper tiers. But if you feel like yeah. your stuff, go through them ten bucks. Uh, I was very confused. For fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, you can get an executive producer credit on the opening credits of the film, a physical Dark Sister signed poster, one year Vidiverse subscription as well as the opportunity to have your feature or short film project appraised by Alex Proyas and the team at Mystery Clock Cinema. Praised. With the possibility. Appraised. Oh. Appraised, sorry. He doesn't guarantee a good feedback. <laughs> with the possibility, asterisk, of assistance to have your project developed. The asterisk, the outcome of the appraisal, is not guaranteed and donations should not be made with this expectation. Wow. Which honestly is a little shifty as fuck. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I respect the hustle. Give me 15 grand, I'll look at your shit. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe maybe I'll make a movie out of it or help you make a movie out of it. Yeah, he feels like a more modern version of, of, our, of our hustling okay. hero. I don't think, he's not Charles Band. Like, no, he's not, not he to the same He hasn't got the extent. output and no. he's not making he's just, dodgy movies and juggling. He's just a dude that has been ground down by the Hollywood system who decided to come back to his home country and try to figure try out, to figure out how to do things differently. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Kind of wish that he'd been given a chance to do something more like the crow again. It makes the crow so much like lightning in a bottle, don't you? Yeah, think? well, yeah, there's that. I mean, Dark City is also lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Based on the graphic novel by James O'Barr. To which I'm guessing that Keen is now grabbing a prop out of his bag. I've never seen it. I've never seen the. Oh my God. James O'Barr had a pretty rough life. It is beautiful. Brody is yeah. flipping through the comic, through it the graphic novel. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. He grew up in an orphanage and wasn't adopted until he was like eight years old. Art was the his, writer of this. Yep, James Abel. Oh. So art was his only was the only way he knew how to express himself. He was a total kind of learner. Oh, the style the book, of this put is the book so down. amazing. Sorry, put I'm the book distracted. Down, so get distracted. Because then you'll be like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm about to, listening, Brody. And I'm about to tell a sad story. Oh. So when he was 16, he met a girl and fell in love. And three years later, after they were engaged, she was killed by a drunk driver. No. Oh. He in his sorrow, ended up joining the Marines and was stationed in Germany. And while they're in his grief and rage, mixed with a newspaper article he read about a couple murdered over a $20 engagement ring, he started his work on the crow. He took inspiration from the music that he was into Mm. that spoke to him. Joy Division was a massive influence. Yeah. Each of the chapters of the comic is named after a Joy Division song. Oh, that's uh-huh. mad. Yeah. And there are whole there are sections where he quotes like whole songs from the cure. Right. Yeah. The the balance of sadness with non-sadness, because yeah. there's other things throughout this movie, mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, is is it interesting and is it like paralleled in the book? Yeah, it's a pretty good adaptation. They change stuff to make it work better for a movie, but yeah, I'll talk sure. about that stuff as we can, as we move our way through. Okay. In creating Eric Draven, he took the face of Peter Murphy from the band Bauhaus and the body and physicality of Iggy Pop. Oh. When you say the face, what do you mean? Yeah, I can see that. He took that. inspiration from his face. like he, The mask? No, he's like physical features and, oh, his, and his hair. Oh, okay. Because okay. he drew the character in the yeah, book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if that's where the mask came from. He started drawing in 1981 and it took him nine years to write and draw it it's, to finish it. It's massive. When it came out, it didn't come out in parts, right? Like a it comic did. book. Oh, yes. really? Volume one and two were first published in 1989 and the company that printed it went out of business. So there is a gap between the first two volumes and the last Fuck, it almost died. It almost died, guys. Yep. And it sold. It was an underground hit. 
for an independent comic with almost no promotion, it was under it was a hit. Thinking about how many times the movie The Crow almost died from the book almost dying when the publisher went underground to all the troubles that the film had. Oh yeah, it's wild that this movie, which is amazing, almost didn't come to be. There are an almost continuing series of Crow comic books that have kept coming out with different characters, which Abar has contributed story to and, and covers, but he's never written another another book, including the Crow Flesh and Blood about a female Crow. And I'd love to adapt that into a film, so hit me up. <laughs> Did he like the movie? He has complicated feelings about the movie for obvious reasons. Right. The screenplay was written by John Shirley and David J. Schrau. Shao, I, I can't pronounce that last name, working separately. John Shirley is a novelist. He had teamed up with a producer, Jeff Most, to get his novels turned into movies. They weren't having much luck. And then looking at the film landscape, we were in the first comic book boom after Batman in 89. Mm. So they decided to try and turn his books into comics, hoping that would ease the path to them being turned into movies. Okay. Ah. Right? They approached Caliber Press with a book called Angry Angels and they liked it, but Shirley's ideas were a little too close to a comic they already published. Batman. The Crow. Oh. Shirley decided to check out The Crow and within three pages he was like, oh, wow, this is a fucking movie. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's already a comic. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. One of the first people that they spoke to about turning it into a movie, this is Jeff Moston and John Shirley, was Rachel Talalay, future director of Freddy's Dead, The Funnel Nightmare, <laughs> Ghost in the Machine, and Tank Girl. Right. They took it to her. She was interested. Yeah, she would have been great. Yeah. She took it to New Line Cinema and to Michael DeLuca at New Line, and they passed because they didn't think it was commercial enough. Mm. And they were concerned about re- making an adult comic book movie. They wanted to make a PG-13 movie, and this movie you would never have worked as that, PG-13. Is it? Yeah, no. Yeah. It's so funny, those worries before the comic book boom that we have right now, because it's just like, whoa, they missed out on so much money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're right. They're fine. New Line, yeah, got abs- they did okay. New Line, New Line made Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they got absorbed into Warner Brothers, but they're okay. Yeah. Michael Delivery, I think, is, is doing okay. Don't worry about it. Thank Ra- God, I was worried. Rachel Talley is directing Doctor Who and seems very happy. <laughs> it's fine. Eventually, Most and Shirley would make a deal with producer, independent producer Edward R. Pressman, who commissioned them to create a screenplay. Shirley did a lot of drafts, but Pressman never felt like it was coming together, so they hired another writer, which is David Shaw, to do a draft. He would end up staying on and working with Most and Proyas to deliver the final script. Shirley's only other film credit is a made-for-TV anthology horror film called Twist of Terror, Canadian television movie. So in a situation like that where another writer comes in, are they then like their take is the lead you know what i mean like no. oh they are fired but i thought you said they worked with oh no the, the previous second oh. writer the first writer got fired right right, right they're right, like right. we're gonna move in a different direction yeah and okay. you no longer get to write on the movie you've been writing on hectic they bring in a different writer right 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 now some of his work is in the final screenplay because he's credited yeah right? but they brought in another writer to to, to rewrite him wow scow at this point had already written one episode of Freddy's Nightmares, the TV, the Nightmare Show TV show, which is legendary, and we will talk about it at some point. I didn't know that existed. That's oh, mad. yeah. Okay. I have tapes. Can we watch Freddy already? No. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. He. 
Critters 2 and 3. Uh, he's also a novelist and still working. Most recently, he worked on the Crip Show TV series, which is a good time. Starring... Brandon Lee. As Eric Draven. We love Brandon Lee. I love Lee. Brandon Lee. <laughs> Early casting ideas? So I know. I do too. We're going to have lots of opportunity so to talk about him. He's You're going to so be nice. okay. <laughs> Early casting ideas included Christian Slater. Yeah, I reckon he'd rock this too. Mm, wrong body type. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. River like, Phoenix. Wrong body type yeah. is a good call though. But they cast Lee after seeing him in, in Rapid Fire. Yeah. Right, yeah. Because Obviously, Brandon Lee was the best choice. 100%. But, um, but I can see uh, River Phoenix and who was the one you just mentioned? Um, Christian Slater? No, after Johnny that. Depp. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yeah. They Johnny have Depp the right, has the vibe. Yeah, they. I can see how that those two would have worked, but Brandon Lee's face. Yeah. yeah. So Brandon Lee's face, that's such a good call. Yeah. So, yeah, he was coming off Rapid Fire being a, being a hit. They've been talking about doing a sequel to that movie. I talked about that during Rapid Fire. And he was also talking about doing another movie with Dolph Lundgren. But he felt like The Crow was a great chance for him to show off his acting chops. He was very conscious during the making of this movie that the fights not be martial artsy because he had already done that. Interesting. Yeah. And he is the co-fight coordinator on this movie. Ah, the funny thing I actually didn't know that. I, yeah. I have this note, but the funny thing about the fights is they don't seem choreographed, but they're like... They're like heavy. They hit hard yeah. still. Yeah. 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 They're good fights, but yeah, they're not martial arty. They're not mm. like flips and kicks and stuff that you see in rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. It's a very different style. It's a but very it's different still a very, But it's still impressive fighting. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting that you can do both. Yeah. I just, I was, I was surprised at the, the way I still felt it. And of course he was tragically killed on the set of this movie. Yes. Mm. And we're going to talk about that right now. We're going to get it out of the way. There's no way to talk about this movie without talking about this. And it's going to permeate the entire conversation that we have about it. But I just want to get all the bullshit out of the way, right, about what actually happened. I actually don't think I know what happened. Right, now. Kira probably knows. knows. I definitely know what yeah. happened. Yeah. It's actually a series of unfortunate incidents where people weren't doing the right thing that led mm. to his death. It's also not the only accident that happened during the making of the movie. I've heard th this was one of those movies that there was like a curse on. Okay. So the only curse on this movie is shitty occupational health and safety. Yeah, well, And I fucking hate that bullshit. Yeah. Because it diminishes the truth. It diminishes the responsibility. Yes. Yeah. And so that was one of the things I was going to talk about, about yeah. how much I fucking hate that. Yeah. But we've done it now. So, <laughs> so there was no curse. There was bad OHS. Yeah. A carpenter was electrocuted on the set and suffered quite severe burns when his crane touched live power lines. Fuck. Yeah. A group truck caught fire. A disgruntled uh, employee from the sculpting department drove his truck through the shop. Wow. And How disgruntled do you have to be to do that? First up, this is a ridiculously ambitious independent film with a pretty lowish budget for 1994 being shot entirely at night with producers oh, that push the crew to their fucking limits. Didn't even right. realise. So this is kind of like you were talking about how everyone went crazy on Blade Runner? Yes. It's sort of a similar situation where everybody's having to work through the night and crazy hours and sleep deprived. Everyone's constantly wet. They shot <laughs> Yeah. They shot all of the indoor interiors in studio at night. Why? Because you then don't have to give the crew <laughs> turnaround time to shift to days. 
Ah, uh, uh, this entire night produ- night production. So you just switch your sleeping schedule to. But being still, fucks that fucks you yeah. up. Yeah, they're wet and they're tired, and it's a fucking tough shoot. Alex Proyas is a first time director, stressed out of his mind about making the best film he can make. That's and hectic. while he was in charge, he was often not the loudest voice on set, oh. because he had producers that were on his back. He's under constant pressure to shoot faster and get less coverage. So they would do a lot of two and three camera setups to save time. He was used to shooting com- like commercials where you shoot tons of coverage. Yeah. yeah. Right. The producers had also decided to shoot the movie in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey. Which Karen knows. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. At what was once Dino De Laurentiis's DEG studios and backlog. Ah. Dino produced Bill and Ted last week. Yeah. So, so that's kind of interesting. It's now the Scream Jam studio. And yeah, Dawson's Creek was shot there. Yeah. And so was parts of Streets of Fire. Uh, right. The reason that they shot in North Carolina was for the tax incentives and because North Carolina is a right-to-work state, meaning no unions and cheap labor, uh, right? Which meant the crew was a mix of experienced heads of departments from LA and Australia and local enthusiastic newcomers who had worked on films before but were not seasoned crew. crew. And would die to be there. The production didn't have and was not required by law in North Carolina at the time a full-time armorer on set, which is fucking crazy. Fucking wild. This is why we need unions. This is why unions are good. I can't believe with that much gunplay there wasn't a full-time armorer. Yeah. At some point during some during production, some prop guys with knowledge of firearms were asked to do two things. That was make dummy bullets. That is bullets with tips, but no powder that have had their firing caps detonated mm-hmm. and to make blanks. And that is bullets without tips, but with powder to create flame and smoke when the guns fired on set. Now, normally you would buy those or have them supplied by a professional armorer, mm. but being a low budget movie, the prop guys were doing it and they shouldn't have been. To do that, they use live ammo. Right. So you take live ammo. And, and you, you make it. And you make yeah. two batches. Live. You turn, you create a batch of dummies and a batch of blanks. You probably shouldn't be doing them at the same time. Probably no. not. No. Jeff Amada, who was the stunt oh. coordinator on this movie. Yeah, really? We talked about him before and Rapid Fire and we saw him last week. Well, yeah. no, he worked last week on Bill and Ted. Yeah. With Al Leong, who was also one of Brendan Lee's childhood friends. Remember yeah. they trained together when they yeah. were children. Remembers being on the set of Gideon's Pawn Shop. He was there on this movie. Holy fuck. Yep. And finding a box of live ammo that had been used to dress the set of Gideon's Pawn Shop. And he was so pissed off. He ended up taking that box of ammo and locking it in the trunk of his car. Dummy bullets were used in the movie. You see them in the movie in the scene where they're doing shots and swapping bullets. So there's a mix in that scene of dummy bullets and candy bullets. They were also used by the second unit to shoot close-ups of bullets in a revolver yeah. used by the character Fun Boy. Yeah. Right. Like when he's putting them into the gun? Yes. Right. Oh, fuck. Now, given there was no armourer, the guns were just kept in a prop shop and the second unit crew just went and grabbed whatever props they needed to shoot what they had been assigned to shoot, including guns, meaning no one is checking those guns for safety. While they were shooting, a crew member remembers hearing a pop noise while they were filming Fun Boy's gun, but no one thought anything of it. Mm. Later after Lee's death, they would figure out that one of the dummy bullets had had its powder removed, but hadn't had its detonator primer removed. And that while they were filming it, 
it fired. And so while there was no powder to eject the tip of the bullet, yep. it was enough force to, t- to push that tip into the gun barrel. When they were done, they put the gun back in the prop store with no safety checks. Damn it. Yeah. Holy fuck. The nightly died. They were shooting a flashback of Eric and Shelley's murder. How the scene was blocked changed through rehearsals and setup. Initially, Eric was going to be stabbed coming through the door, which is what happens in the final movie. But Proyas changed his mind. He was going to be shot and watch as Shelley is murdered, right? Yeah. So that he could be, experience, awake. be awake and experience her murder. A prop person went and got Funboy's gun for the scene. Nobody checked it. What was meant to happen was that Eric would walk through the door of the loft holding a bag of groceries with a squib in it. As he came in, Funboy would spin and fire at him with one shot and the bag would explode with the squib with like milk and groceries and stuff in it and Eric would fall down. For some reason, Lee didn't wear a vest. He had been wearing a vest numerous times during other parts of shooting in the movie. But I think given the nature of how quickly the blocking changed, and because it distance, wasn't actually going to hit him, it was going to hit the bag. They decided for him, he decided, somebody, I don't know who decided, I'm not going to speculate about who decided. They ran through the action twice, everybody was happy. There is some debate whether Michael Massey, the actor playing Fun Boy, was instructed to point the gun slightly off or not from the bag. Some people remember that because- Which is of, what you're meant to do, right? When you're close, right? But some people remember when the, the angle and di- when looking at the angle and the distance, it was decided it would be fine for him to point it straight at Lee because the, he was quite a ways away. Some people say he was told not to point at Lee, but because of the blocking, he would end up, of him spinning, he would naturally just end up pointing the gun at gun Lee. Yeah. A prop person loaded a full load blank into the gun and Fuck. handed it to Michael Massey. No one had checked the gun barrel. And the-, the- just to be clear, the blank is the one that makes the fiery. It's full of yeah. powder. Yeah. So you have a blank full of powder and a tip lodged in a gun barrel. Because mm. the blank doesn't have a tip. No. No. Proyas called action. Lee came through the door. Massey pulled the trigger. The squib blew and Lee fell down all according to plan. And no one realized. The tip of the bullet had ejected with the powder load and hit Lee. Proyas yelled, cut. Lee didn't get up. It took 10 to 20 seconds for somebody to notice. Jeff Amada remembers, yeah, he was there, remembers that Lee hadn't fallen the way they rehearsed, but he thought to himself, well, Lee often changes blocking sometimes depending on performance and character. When they finally did notice he was already unconscious and his pulse was falling. Mm. There was chaos because they didn't know what had happened or how he had been hurt. They thought he might have hit his head on the door, falling down. It was complicated by the fake blood Yeah, that was in the grocery bag. Yeah. And the small nature of the wound the tip caused. Yeah, because it wouldn't have been like a regular bullet wound. When they realised he was in a bad way, his stomach had already begun to swell. No. The set was cleared and he was taken to hospital where he died during surgery due to internal bleeding. He was 28 years old. Fuck. And he was due to be married 17 days later. No. No. Yeah. Fuck. It was night 50 of 58. 
and likely would have been the last day that guns were used on the set of the making of this movie. Oh, fucking hell. Everything else left was dialogue scenes. Everything. Yeah. So you can see why this, this preparing for this episode has been a little emotional. I like to talk about movies with joy and this movie does bring me a lot of joy, but this is, this shit's fucking hard, man. Mm. Yeah, is that who Eliza is? Yeah. Oh, I was wondering that too. We'll Fuck. talk more. There's something later that fucking murders me. There's something at the end of the movie that just, yeah, yeah you know what it is? Yeah. yeah. So I think we've talked about it before. Yeah. So eventually many, many months later, it was decided to finish the movie in Lee's memory. There was probably also financial reasons. Yeah, of course. But Lee's family were 100% on board. Yeah. He loved being in it. Like, Oh, you yeah. can see that. We, can, we'll talk yeah. about we'll talk And you about, can tell yeah. how proud he was of his performance, yeah. that it makes so, sense that yeah. with, with it that far done, yeah. that he probably, yeah, he would have wanted to. Yeah. So his fiance Eliza Hutton, was also 100% on board. Alex worked with Xiao and his editors to figure out how to rewrite the movie and to cover all the expositional stuff they hadn't shot yet because most of what, is, what wasn't shot was dialogue that explained the plot. They end up going back to fucking Wilmington, <laughs> rebuilding the sets and shooting with, a stunt, with his stunt double and a body double. I'll talk about both of them later. And restructuring big sections of the film, including cutting out a character from the comic book wow. that they had started to shoot with uh, and that's that's the end of that right and other cast members i'm going to talk about as they appear in the movie because there are a lot of my favorite faces in this movie and i'm going to talk about almost every cast member which is one of the other reasons we're going to go long today yeah the actor that um that pulled the trigger yeah i will has, talk has he i will i'll talk about michael massey later yeah yeah okay. i'm not going to do it i'm not going to do it now um but you can imagine how it yeah. affected his life. Yeah. Fuck, I've had so many goosebumps through you telling that story. Kate. I know. Fuck, and, and listen, I don't want to dwell on the on the details, but I also think that there's a lot of bullshit out there about about how he died, right? And so yeah, I just think that. Thank you. So I just think that being able to like get that out of the way and explain how it happened at every step kind of puts you in perspective of what it, what it's like. And things would, I'd like to say that things have changed, but look at what happened on the set of Ross. Yeah, like yeah. with Alec Baldwin a couple of years ago. Gun safety. The, I don't. Uh, I am a massive fan of practical effects. I don't think there is any reason in the world to have a gun that fires blanks on a set anymore yeah. with visual effects. There is somebody intimately involved in this movie that makes movies that involve a fuck ton of gunplay and they do not fire blanks on that set. Mm. And this is why. Yeah. And I I'll mean, t- I'll talk about that later. How many well. times do people have to die because of blanks? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's Absolutely. the thing is, there's so much safety around them, but you're always going to have fuck ups. And they look good, but it's but it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. So trailers, no trailer. I know we got to move on. I know it's really hard to make this transition. <laughs> I but think we need to have a break. But we do get an education of what things are yeah. oh god it is hard to bring the energy uh, up i'm bringing the energy up so, guys this movie is fucking great yeah it is so trailers no trailers but we did get an ad for movies in widescreen enjoy movies set in wide open spaces now here's wide open spaces like movies with crowd scenes now this is a crowd scene crave for an intimate moment now here's real intimacy 
When a movie is conceived, the director and his cinematographer first determine whether the movie should be shot in standard or widescreen ratio. Is that a fact? Using a method called pan and scan, an editor pans across the widescreen film, isolating the images he deems to be the most important so that the story makes sense. Now, Roadshow Entertainment gives you the choice. You can still have the pan and scan version if you want, but we also give you the complete picture in widescreen letterbox format, so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to the Roadshow Entertainment widescreen experience. An yes. explanation of what widescreen is. They did is a pretty good job of scan. explaining how pan and scan works and why widescreen is better. Is this how you learned what pan and scan is? Well, yeah, I remember. I remember. Fuck, man, it's tough transition. I remember getting a tape that was in widescreen and being like, there's black bars at the top and bottom <laughs> in VHS. I was like so upset. And then I also remember when a friend of mine's parents got their first like widescreen television and DVD player. Yeah. And them being like, but it's cutting off the top and bottom of the picture. Yeah. And me being like, no. And no. drawing a diagram <laughs> to explain how <laughs> movies work. And then- When they say in this ad thingy that you get that they- um you have a choice. Yeah. Does that mean they're releasing all the VHS with two versions or or is there a setting on your TV? Like what? No. So, yeah, there's two versions. There's a widescreen version and a standard and a standard version, which is hilarious yeah. because 4.3 is not fucking standard for movies at all. Yeah. But, um, so when you go to the video store, you just pick. Well, this is for this is a retail tape. This is about sales. Right. So, so you, you can go and buy your favorite movie in widescreen. And it's obviously very limited. I don't think yeah. it's like every movie. It's like we have a selection of movies that we think should be in widescreen that are in widescreen yeah yeah just a quick another question about the tape now mm -hmm. i watched this in hd yes but i watched the tape to see the trailers and things yes. and st starting watching the tape again i was like because that's how i originally watched it i was yeah. like i kind of love the tape version <laughs> there like, the, it has a texture to it it does and it's like a little bit more forgiving with some of the effects as well yeah, I'm very forgiving yeah. with this. Oh, this definitely. We'll talk. I'm going to talk literally. I know about how every shot in this fucking movie yeah, was awesome. made. So we'll talk about everything in detail. Big yeah. craft pod, big tragedy pod, it is. big big writing pod, like every, everything today. Yeah. Like big cast pod. Awesome. So we're also going to talk about what's at the back of the tape, right? Because mm. when I saw this movie for the first time on VHS, that was on the front of the tape. Oh, oh really? On the rental version. We see Brandon Lee's last interview. Yeah. It's the making, mm. it's basically shot stuff that was shot to promote the movie while they were making the movie that would have been packaged up in an electronic press kit to promote the movie. It's his last sit-down interview on the set of the movie. Such a vibe, man. Him just so sitting there excited. casually having so, a cigarette. He is so stoked about it, man. So he really you can see that how, so how into it he is. Yeah. <sighs> The Crow was Brandon Lee's last film. Miramax Home Entertainment is proud to share his final on-camera interview, which includes exclusive, never-before-seen footage. It's a wonderful role, and it, it really is a role that you have to take risks with, and it gives you a wonderful opportunity to take those risks and stretch, because you tell me how somebody who comes back from the dead is going to behave, you know? You move your dead. And I say I'm dead. I move. And that's one of the wonderful things about playing this character is it's a real, you can really take the gloves off in playing this part because there are no rules about how a person who has come back from the dead is going to behave. So he says something 
in that interview that will stick in your mind for the rest of your yeah. fucking life, which is that. Because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more? Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet it all seems limitless. <laughs> what I never knew until recently is that that's a quote. Oh. From The Sheltering Sky by Paul Bowles, a novel. and But it's cut in this interview like that's Lee's own words. Yeah. Which is actually a kind of shitty thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is beautiful and the way that he says it is beautiful the reason he's saying that is because he is thinking about his role Mm. his relationship love and death and what it means because he had chosen that quote for his wedding invitations oh Oh, fuck Mm. fucking hell he is such a beautiful soul man yeah absolutely fucking hell a depressing quote for your wedding invitations. Well, it's about it's it's about the, oh, I guess the it's beauty not a, of like fleeting moments, you know. Yeah, I suppose it's not as depressing if you don't die. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm really sorry, but who's going to recap the premise of the crow? <laughs> Maybe we just don't do the bit this week. I'll I'll take a stab. Uh, it is about murdered soul returning to avenge his loved ones. And to put justice back in the world. Pretty close. You okay, Alberts? Let's just remember. I'm a very emotional pregnant woman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's remember that. And out I love of, Brendan Lee. Out of all of this, became came one of, of such a great movie. Yeah, and he yeah. would have been so proud of it. It's just exactly. very upsetting. The yeah. the blockbuster and entertainment guide to movies and videos from the year 1998, The Crow, adaptation of underground comic classic about a superhero from beyond the grave. He's come back to avenge his murder and be reunited with his fiance. Will probably be remembered as the film on which Brandon Lee was killed. Four stars. Four stars. No. Five stars. Yeah. Six stars. Yeah. Break the system. Jen Maslin of the New York Times is Corinne James of the New York Times in 1994. And she wrote, the first time Brandon Lee appears on the screen in The Crow, he is climbing out of his grave. Lee's ghoulish entrance is the eeriest possible side, of course, because he was killed by a misloaded prop gun while making this movie just over a year ago. See what I mean? It's not a misloaded prop gun. Yeah. Mm. It was loaded correctly. It just wasn't checked for safety. The advanced publicity lavished on The Crow comes almost entirely from its newsy, tragic sidelight. It's a dark, lurid revenge fantasy and not the breakthrough star-making movie some people have claimed. But it is a genre film of high order, stylish and smooth. It's dark look at look of midnight terror and its skewed cityscape link it to the Batman movies. But the crow makes even the bleak Batman 2, Batman Returns, seem like a kiddie's <laughs> playground. It's not called Batman 2. I tell you what's wild is that I feel like the modern Batman stole a fair bit from this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Matt Reeves, 100% influenced by the crow. Yeah, to influence make, to make, better it, word, to make yes. his Batman movie. Yeah, yes, it's one of the reasons I fucking love the movie. It even has a fucking circular window. 
Like most action genre movies, The Crow spends much of its time showing the brutality with which Draven goes after his murderers. There are several major shootouts, a couple of explosions, and one death in which Draven's victim ends up with a dozen or so hypodermic needles sticking out of his body. As the gang leader, called Top Dollar, Michael Wincott has a genuinely evil rasp in his voice. But none of the characters are individualized much. The Crow is more mainstream than it might have been because script changes were made to soften the story after Lee's death. Lee had a great presence, but who knows if this movie would have led to more mainstream parts for him. The truth is that the role of Draven didn't require a huge amount of acting. Fuck you. Fuck off. Yeah. The film does offer a promise for the future of its director, Alex Proyas, a 33-year-old young Australian who is a veteran of the music, video industry, and commercials. Mr. Paris's flair suggests he might take a leap to mainstream success, sleek and accidentally haunting, though it is the crow belongs in its niche. I don't think it's accidentally haunting. Yeah. I think that this movie would have been haunting even if what had happened didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure obviously it got more coverage and it probably became more known because of what happened. It did. And that's going to happen. Yeah. It would have been more of a cult hit, I imagine, if it um, hadn't had that. But- it's definitely a good film and he is definitely acting. He is phenomenal. Like, where it, and it would have led to other things for him because people looking at him as Bruce Lee's kid would have then yeah. seen this side of him as well. Yes. And regardless of whether this movie was a hit, other directors are going to see it mm-hmm. when looking at Brandon Lee as a potential casting choice. Yeah. So there's no way this wouldn't have led to more stuff for him. His death definitely drove the box office. This movie opened at number one in May of 1994. Yeah. yeah. Admittedly, it didn't have a lot of competition. Uh, second was a Meg Ryan movie, When a Man Loves a Woman, in its third week. Yeah. Third was Spike Lee's Crooklyn in its first week. Fourth was With Honours, a Brendan Fraser comedy that I had actually never heard of. Mm. Fifth was Four Weddings and a Funeral, which was in its 10th week. Mm -hmm. And The Crow would remain in the top 10 for five weeks. Yeah, I imagine it would have done maybe better than expected because it didn't have a lot of competition and it's a good movie. Yes, also it's a good movie. So did you know- And there probably would have been a little bit of still the the same cachet that was for Rapid Fire with the- Yeah, I mean Rapid Fire was a hit as well. Like it still would have had the- Bruce Lee's son yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. That just got overshadowed by this other thing. Also released that month were Maverick, the Mel Gibson movie, which is oh. a good time, the Flintstones movie, <laughs> and Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, hectic. I just stopped you from kind of asking, asking a question because I'm about to answer it and I know what the question is. Okay. Yeah. As we talked about with Rapid Fire, I was already super into Brendan Lee and had seen Showdown in Little Tokyo and Rapid Fire. And I... Remember the day he died. You motherfucker. That was the question I was about to ask. I know. Yeah, fuck. I'm in there. Yeah. I was in primary school. I was in like year six in primary school, which is last year of primary school in Australia. I would walk home from school and on the way home, there was a corner store where kids would stop because they had arcade cabinets. And I remember stopping at the shop and the older son of one of my mum's best friends was there playing Mortal Kombat, which had just come out. Right. So this is 1993. And he and some other kids were talking about the fact that Brendan Lee had died. Yeah. That's such schoolyard news. Did you trust it? Yeah. Yeah, and I was heartbroken. I wanted to see this movie so badly. Like, I just, as soon as I knew that it was coming out, I just wanted to see it. I remember the day of my stepdad won tickets to an advanced Mad. screening on the radio, but he didn't take me. Aww. We missed the screening. Oh, no. 
And I never got an answer why, but I suspect it was because this movie is MA15 plus and uh, I was a small child. Yeah. 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 And so they never said no to me. They just let the day pass hoping that I would forget <laughs> yeah, that it was yeah, going to yeah. happen. Aww. And I never did. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw this movie on home release on VHS. And it, this is probably the movie that I have seen the most in my life, along with probably Goonies and Lost Boys. Yeah. I know every fucking line of this movie. Kira can attest to that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I came upstairs last night for like five seconds to, to grab something and was just saying lines of the movie in time with the movie as Kira was yeah. watching it. <laughs> of course. Yeah, as a moody grunge goth kid, this was like, I mean, this is probably the reason I was a slightly goth kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah, really. This movie probably made me goth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I owned a bunch of different posters for this movie over the years, including I had this massive, almost two meter wide landscape poster. There was a hand drawn picture of Brandon Lee in flames with the tagline for the movie being darker than the bat. <laughs> You actually have frames from the movie, don't you? No. No? I, I do. Kira does. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. It's one of Kira's things. It's just uh, like film frames from the thing. It's yeah. like a souvenir thing. Yeah. Okay. It's so, cool. It's, okay. it's fucking cool. I'm not a fan of those kind of things. Okay. Kira, okay. Kira, Kira. <laughs> yeah. So I had the soundtrack. I still do. I'm holding my CD copy of the Crow soundtrack right now. <laughs> uh, Kira was very kind enough to have bought it for me on vinyl last year. I did. I still listen to it all the time. I've listened to it about that whole album about three times this week. I own Crow action figures, more than one. Yep. I had t-shirts. I have trading cards. I have a collectible card game that I've never figured out how to play. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> collectible card game. Yeah, That's like a, a wild piece of yeah, merch. Right. I remember one of the very first times I ever went on the internet finding a Crow fan page, because back then there was no real websites, it was all fan pages that had heaps of information about the making of the movie and the behind the scenes. And it had photos and it would take 15 minutes for each photo to load. Yeah. <laughs> and I would save them to print them and they were tiny. <laughs> My very first proper girlfriend owned two VCRs. Her parents owned two VCRs. So she pirated a copy of nice. The Crow on VHS because I was a small child that could not afford VHS tapes. I still have that fucking tape. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a little obsessed with this movie. And not just because of Brandon Lee's death, because yeah. I fucking adore this movie. Can, right. I, can I ask, Kira, did you know this is the movie that Brandon Lee died when you first watched it? Yes. Right. Because I, I had no idea about this movie at all when I first watched it. And I will say that listening to those reviews and how – they didn't like some of it or like they gave a four star rating on the like, it's not as great as everyone's saying it is. I understand. But at the same time, like when I first watched this movie, had no understanding of, of, of its history at all. Watched it very late, watched it on VHS as you should have done. And I fucking loved it with no guidance whatsoever. And it's one of those things where the unpolished, the the things that don't work necessarily perfectly are something that never bothered me and, and always something that like made me feel like this movie is still a great film and I don't understand why I'm just like I can get over it so easily. I'm just going to not correct you, but I'm going to express one thing. I don't think this movie is unpolished. I think this movie has scars. 
Interesting. That's an interesting take. Oh, okay. I think that things that you think don't work or the things that have not aged well are a result of how this movie was finished. Yeah, okay. And we'll talk about it specifically as we- as That's we a really through. interesting take. I love right. that. In terms of my backstory with this one, I didn't know Brandon Lee before I'd seen this movie. Wild. Um, I learned about this movie from Cam when I was in high school and we were talking about movies and I can't remember why we were talking about it, but we were talking about movies that have had to replace stuff, like mm. had to work around sure. issues. And he referenced The Crow and I said I hadn't seen it and he lent me The Crow and he lent me Rumblefish and he lent me Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's great. Well done on those three. Those are the three movies that I took home that week. And two of those three movies are now my favourite films of all time. Yeah, I think would. Rumblefish will be too one day. Yeah, I love Rumblefish, but it just has it just it just didn't it didn't. I don't hit remember that, Rumblefish at all. That, but yeah, that level, the other two but, are amazing. So yeah, so I went into this film knowing about the replacement of Brandon Lee's face and stuff in this movie yeah. to, to finish it. And so that's where I fell in love with Brandon Lee because he's amazing in this movie. Yeah. And then I watched other movies with Brandon Lee in it later. Because I didn't know who Brandon Lee was, the fact that he died making it wasn't like the only reason I was going to be interested in sure. the movie yeah. kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Like I was interested in it from the perspective of the craft because I'm a teenager who wants to make movies and it's kind of interesting as yeah. to how things are made. So learning about something about a weird thing that had to happen to make this movie happen yeah. was interesting. So did it you was, see it from a craft angle where you're like, oh, I can see I how they made this. I watched it the first time to enjoy the movie because he had said that it was a really good movie, so I enjoyed it. And then I went back and re-looked at the particular scenes that he had already pointed out to me. And interesting, because I don't know it. where those yeah. scenes are. Back when I used to do the podcast before having a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. so, so, yeah, I remember watching. I remember watching it twice. Because of that. This is one of those movies that I just remember finishing and being in a bit of a light sweat because I was yeah. just so into the movie. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And I was, a, I was a great age for it too because, like, this is – I would have been 16, 17. 16, 17 for us is is peak sort of emo grunge yeah. goth phase yeah, where yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what, like, yeah. everybody's – Or you My Chemical Romance bitches. Yeah. I, I, I was never into My Chemical Romance, but, yeah, yes, that, that phase of life where that was what was popular with everything. I feel like so, I might have been even a little bit younger, like mm. just like a little bit – Like 15? Too young for it. Yeah, well, Sorry. I mean, usually we talk about that towards the end. My sources for this week – uh, aside from just my brain, because I just know a lot yeah. about this movie, is Bridget Bass's book, The Crow, The Story Behind the Film. It is ridiculously well-researched. She talked to tons of crew members, and the account of how Lee died is me paraphrasing from, from the book. That's um, my book. It is actually Kira's actually <laughs> book. Uh, I read it again this week, and it's really good. It also just doesn't – what's really great is it does talk about Lee's death, but it doesn't dwell on it. There's lots of information in there about the, about the, the creativity and the way the film doesn't was. celebrate his death. No, no, the <laughs> film, he means celebrate the <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. It talks, just isn't the way that came yeah. out. I just yeah. wanted to. It's a good making of book is all, yeah. is all I'm saying. So, yeah, if you want to watch this movie, there's a Blu-ray that is pretty good looking, but there is no 4K. There was meant to be a Japanese 4K a few years ago, but it never came out. They released it as just a standard Blu-ray in 1080, but it's from that 4K scan, so it is the best-looking version of that movie. If you can hunt, if you can hunt that down, you can rent and buy this movie digitally pretty much everywhere. Just you know, search the crew. Yeah. Many years ago, I remember that Alex Proyas talked about recording a Warts and All commentary track for a deluxe DVD edition, but it was pulled from that DVD, likely by Edward Pressman 
who was very protective of himself in regard to the making of this movie. Okay. Pressman only did just pass away in January. And I have seen online this week people talking about a commentary track, but I can't imagine that it's the uncut version of that track. You'll probably do that thing that sometimes happens. If you ever go to listen, I don't know, you, you, you don't listen to a lot of commentary tracks, Brody, but no. sometimes in a commentary track, people will be talking and then suddenly everything goes quiet and it didn't go quiet because they stopped talking. It went quiet because the producers decided to cut something out of the track because generally they said something that they don't like. Interesting. Uh, I always thought it was because they got distracted watching the movie. Fascinating. So I th- do love a good director's commentary. You should watch more commentary tracks. Commentary tracks no are more. great. But, yeah. then, but then also, like, I wouldn't have things to tell you. So. Yeah, true. You should watch commentary tracks for movies that we're not going to cover on the podcast. I, I, I've listened to, like, a couple weird ones. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it's, like, it's an experience. But, like, yeah. I think you'd enjoy listening to, like, cast commentaries. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there are four Crow movies. The Crow, The Crow City of Angels, The Crow Salvation, and The Crow Wicked Prayer. Oh, Yeah. Angels is a pretty beautiful looking movie, but was re-edited by Miramax and Harvey Weinstein to basically be a remake of the first movie. And it kills that movie. It has a stacked cast though, including Iggy Pop. Hectic. So do they also get rid of a whole character? No, they just recut the movie structurally to be more like the first movie. Right. So it kind of feels like a remake. Sure. Set in LA. The Deftones are in it, the band. The Deftones yeah, mad. Yeah. Salvation, I don't remember very well. It has Eric Mabius playing the crow, and they're all different crows. It's not, yeah. we don't have a second Eric Draven, right? It's also got Kirsten Dunst in it when she's like in wow. that transition from teen roles to adult roles. Yeah. It ended up going straight to video, right? It didn't even make it have a theatrical release. Have you watched it? Yeah, I've seen it, but I just don't remember it very well, and it's probably been like 20 years since I've seen it. And Wicked Prayer is wild. <laughs> It's the departure. It's the strange crow movie. Okay. It has Edward Furlong as the crow. Edward Furlong being John Connor in Terminator 2. Oh, thank you. All that right. is an interesting choice. And yeah. the villain, who's like a biker, leads a biker gang, is David Boreanaz from Angel and Buffy. Oh, okay. oh shit. Angel. Yeah. I couldn't imagine him being a villain. He's not very good. Of course, we've talked about the TV show with Mark Dacoscos from, yeah. from Drive. Yeah, I can't remember what you said about that, though. It's, it's, not, terrible? it's not good. It's, yeah, okay. it's basically a remake. He's playing Eric Draven, and it is a remake of the movie, except it's, it's really bad. <laughs> there have been various attempts at a remake. It has been in different stages of development for 20 years. At one point, a few years ago... It's got to be hard to remake. Jason Momoa was cast as Eric Draven. Okay, now I'm in. There is an interesting costume test floating around, but he didn't end up taking, he ended up moving off the roll. But last year it actually fucking happened. It's in the can. It's shot. Whoa. Who is it? Bill Skarsgård. Oh, that's, that's not my first choice, but I feel like he's got the intensity. So he's Pennywise in it. Yeah. That's. And it's not the good looking Skarsgård, right? No. It's the one who's a bit of a freak. No, Bill. Yeah, the strange looking one. Yeah, That's cool. not an Iggy Pop type. No. <laughs> I'm curious about it, but I don't have high hopes. Yeah. Given the current state. Skarsgård's a good actor, though. Yeah, but movies now. Yeah. Movies are bad now. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, watching this movie, it, I'm even deeper. Movies are bad now. Mm. Um, it's being directed by Rupert Sanders, who is a pretty strong visualist. He directed the Ghost in the Shell movie, which is the modern great, one. Yeah, which is great looking. Okay, yeah. It's not a good movie, but it's good looking. He also directed Snow White and the Winter Huntsman with oh, Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Again, visually had, pretty. He had an affair with Kirsten Dunst and that's why she broke up with Robert Pattinson, <laughs> which 
I think it was good for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> on the idea of remaking it, Alex Proyas in November of 2019 said on a podcast, it's Husey, hello. Australian podcast, very... Okay. Yeah, Dave wait, Hughes's podcast. Wait, Dave Hughes's pod- oh podcast. Oh, my God. Yeah, which, again, sorry, content warning. Here it comes. Um, <laughs> he said about a remake, I've personally tried to squash it every time I hear of one. <laughs> Not that I believe I'm able to do so, but my point is that Brendan Lee made that movie what it is. He made that movie. He made that character. The character was not taken from a comic book. That was Brendan. And Brendan Lee died making that movie. He paid the worst price anyone could ever pay for making a movie, and it's his legacy. The guy would have been a huge star after that movie, and he wasn't able to ever do that. That's his final testimony to his talent, and that's why I finished the movie. I finished it for Brendan. After being devastated about what happened, we shut down production and I went back to Australia. Months later, I went back and watched the movie and his family, all the other actors, everyone involved said, you've got to finish this movie because Brendan is so great in it. And he was. I was able to watch it and see how great he was. And I thought then the movie deserves to be completed because it's his legacy. So that's what makes that movie. It's not just a movie that can be remade. It's one man's legacy and it should be treated with that level of respect. Fuck. Okay, so we're not going to see the new one then. I mean, I am. I love I'm that not going to feel good about it. I love that he tries to stop every remake. <laughs> I don't think he's got cool. that kind of power. No, not at all, but I love that. He's right though. He, Yeah, he's not wrong. Shall we oh. begin to talk our way through the crow? We open on October 30th, Devil's Night. And my mother's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Always amuses me. So Devil's Night in Detroit was a real thing. So it started during the- LA riots? No, wait, that doesn't make sense. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. Yeah, you are. So dumb. It's okay. It's okay, it's bringing the liberty back. (laughs) (laughs) Started during the 1910s by college kids as a night of pranky bonfires. Ah. So they would just light like bonfires and then wait for the fire department to come and put them out. So it started- Slightly more good-natured. I mean, college kids just being jerks, but by the 1980s, it was a little out of hand. In 1984, had to respond to 800 fires in 72 hours surrounding Halloween. Oh, my God. Wild. Yeah, so it was was crazy. Did they have enough firemen for that? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Also, some of the fires were lit by landlords as part of insurance scams or as a way of clearing buildings for redevelopment, which is part of the plot of this movie. Yeah, hectic. The city fought back. Detroit firefighters were bracing for Devil's Night. That's the annual pre-Halloween arson spree. Last year, 281 blazes were reported. City officials are taking steps to try and stop the fires. Youths under the age of 18 will be under a dusk-to-dawn curfew tonight, and more than 35,000 volunteers will watch vacant buildings and patrol neighborhoods with fire extinguishers. Wow. Just Patrolling the streets to try to prevent people from starting fires. And they got the problem under, uh, finally under control. It had petered out during the, during the 90s, but the curfew was in place until 2017. <laughs> Hectic. Yeah. Doesn't happen anymore, right? It doesn't happen anymore. Also, there's like a lot less people in Detroit now for because of reasons. I kind of already knew this stuff, but used uh, a great mental floss article to refresh myself by Jake Rosen. And I'll link it in the show notes because it goes into more detail about Devil's Night, history of Devil's Night. Over shots of burning Detroit, we hear Sarah in voiceover. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it, and the soul can't rest. The 
And sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. All of the voiceover in this movie was added in the restructure to provide exposition. Yeah, right. All of it? Yeah. So it wasn't originally going to start like that? No. Again, this week, I was able to source an earlier draft of the script, which was really cool. It was from like 1992. So it's even like before production. So Fuck. it's actually probably out of date for the production script. But aside from one, the one big subtraction that I've already kind of talked about, the order is shuffled, but most of what is not in the script is stuff that was added to cover what they never shot. Right. The flight over the city is a model. Yeah, I love that. It's a digitally composited model. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of the wides are models. There are establishing shots of buildings in this movie that are models because they didn't have those buildings. I feel like... And I fucking love it. I feel like it sets a visual tone for the effects like immediately. You're like, okay, like I can clearly... And, and on the VHS, could you? I don't think it's it, you could tell as much that they're models. No, I didn't know it was a model until I watched it much later on. Down, yeah. On yeah, that's I amazing. I also just didn't know how they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we are in an interesting time because we're, we've crossed the, the Terminator 2 Jurassic Park line, right? So we're in the world of digital effects. So this movie has a lot of digital compositing that is early digital compositing. It does a couple of things that are groundbreaking, but it's also, it's also, yeah, it's on that line of things transitioning from the old way to things in a new way. Sure. Things. So we have a lot of models and things digitally composited into models. Did you, did you say what the budget was? You said it's a low budget movie, but how low it, budget was it? So it was original budget was just under, I think $20 million and they had to spend an additional like six or seven to finish the movie. So was that a, a not, not a lot a at big all. budget for, yeah, 19, okay. for 1993? No, yeah, not, right. Not we, yeah. So we fly into a shattered round window to find a crime scene. Yeah. Uh, it's Eric and Shelley's loft. Officer Albrecht, surveys the scene as he smokes. There's a body on the street below. Abrecht, of course, is Ernie, Ernie Hudson. Big Ern. From Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, as it's now retroactively called, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm. He has been in other movies aside from Ghostbusters, but... Why does it matter? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's dead more from Ghostbusters. Inside, there's a woman being worked on by EMTs. It's Shelley. We see that Eric was in a band called Hangman's Joke. And is that a reference to anything at all? No. Just a cool name. It's just a cool, it's just a cool, cool name. names are a fucking theme throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Albrecht finds a wedding invitation. Who the fuck gets married on Halloween anyway? Nobody. Mm. He talks to another cop about Devil's Night. 143 fires. They're slacking off from last year. Three hours to go. Maybe they're just slow starters. I actually fucking love the dialogue in this movie. Yeah. There's stuff that works and works better than others. There's stuff in the script that is not good dialogue mm -hmm. that was clearly changed between when that draft was written and when the movie was shot <laughs> because they take out some real clunker, line, clunker lines <laughs> out, of the, out of the script that I read. The dialogue and the style comes in hard and oh, fast yeah. and I fucking love it. Yeah. Albrecht gives the go to move Shelley and downstairs he has a run-in with Detective Torres. That's Marco Rodriguez. He shows up in Cobra, Stallone movie. I thought I knew this dude. He's the scrapyard owner at the start of Nightcrawler. Hey. That has an interaction with Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's pissed that Albrecht has given the order for Shelley to be moved. And we learned that Albrecht used to be a detective, but was busted down. Sarah skates up on her skateboard. Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. She heads over to Shelley, who is still kind of conscious. And so she tells Albrecht to tell Eric to take care of Sarah. And Abrek lies to her about Eric, but Sarah knows that Shelley's going to die. This is all additional shooting. 
Ah. Pretty much anything that has to do with Eric and Shelley's death is reshoots. There is none of the original footage of that scene in this movie. Even just not even shot. this stuff, because like Eric's not in this. He, yeah, and you don't see Brendan Lee's face in any of this. Yeah. Which is yeah. mostly the guide, right? If you don't see Brendan Lee's face, it's, it's probably not him. Uh, yeah. But they didn't feel comfortable using any of the footage that they had already shot for oh, this. Oh, really? So the, the entire murder of Eric and Shelley is shot afterwards and completely restaged. They've done a fucking incredible job. Oh, it ma- everything matches. Like the bits and pieces that filter in through this start, like give so much definition and detail to the world and, and even the action of what's happened. Yep. But, yeah, they've done a fantastic job yep. cutting around that. So you said that Sarah's voiceover at the start wasn't in the original script, so how did the original script start? It okay. does start with the fly. I think it does start with the fly into the murder scene. One year later, we see a crow land on a steeple of a church and we crane down to find Sarah in a graveyard. This is really cool because it's a combination of a model and a real location. Mm. Well, not real location, a set built on a back lot. The bird's movement is a little screwy here mm-hmm. because it? they've retimed the shot. They've retimed the composite of the bird to make it match the shot. So the bird kind of actually freeze frames kind of at one point. And then when it starts to move again, it moves like weirdly slowly. I didn't even notice. Yeah. A building gets torched. All that is left is ashes. I used to think that was true about everything. Families, friends, feelings. But now I know that sometimes if love proves real, Two people who are meant to be together, nothing can keep them apart. I love Sarah stealing flowers yeah. from everybody else's graves yeah. to give to, to put on Eric and Shelley's graves. It's mm. pretty cute. Yeah. The score here, I've got to talk about the score and I've got to talk about it early um, yeah. because it's phenomenal. It's one of the things that works superbly in this, in this movie. by Graham Ravel. He's a New Zealander who was a member of an industrial band called SPK. His first score was for the Australian thriller Dead Calm, which is a really good time with uh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane's wild in that movie. Okay. He also worked on Child's Play 2, Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs, Ghost in the Machine, hmm. SFW, so fucking what? Hey. <laughs> Street Fighter, Tank Girl. Amazing. Basketball Diaries, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh. <laughs> God. Str- Strange Days, From Dust Till Dawn, The Craft, Holy Spawn, shit. Bride of Chucky, Idle Hands, a movie called Bats that we are definitely going to do at some point. Yeah, dope. With uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, that yeah. It was a really fun time. Pitch Black and then all of the other Riddick movies. Mad. Freddy vs. Jason. Holy Sin- shit. Sin City, Planet Terror, The Ruins, Pineapple Express, <laughs> and then, yeah, his last film credits from 2013, which, what was, a which was Riddick. fucking list. Yeah. I write to this score all the time. Yes, this yeah. score is like one of my go-tos. The score is one of the things that makes this movie so intense. Yeah. Sarah chats with the crow. What are you, like the night watchman? <laughs> <laughs> she skates away as the crow comes a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at a headstone. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I still had a good time. <laughs> yeah. And Maxi Dogs. Albert complains to Mickey that you have to put the mustard underneath first, <laughs> which is a valuable hot dog lesson I have learned from this movie, and I always put the mustard underneath first. Yeah. 
Let me do it. <laughs> takes the hot dog <laughs> away from him. I love this kind of interaction. I love Mickey's like, what this town needs is like a, like a catastrophe, like in the Bible. <laughs> like flood, something. It's really good. All, all the kind of additional dialogue is really fun, is really fun in this movie. Mm. I always forget that this movie is funny. Yeah, yeah. it is funny, right? There but, is yeah. such a beautiful balance between like being a bit tongue in cheek and being like, again, I forgot that there was levity to this movie as well, but like there's such a hard and strong vibe to like the gothic nature of this yeah. that it needs that balance. Yeah, it does. But yeah, because yeah, like I haven't watched it in a while because it's not the kind of movie that I watch every week. Yeah. And so it's like I remember the imagery and I remember the, the darkness of the movie and the, and, the, and the emotional weight of it. But then you watch it and it's like, this is a funny movie. Yeah. This is also a movie where every person on screen is really having a good time with their role. Thank yeah. you. Like yes. everybody is chewing scenery. The there villains not, are fucking going for it, man. not mm. a single person in this movie yeah. that is not chewing the fucking yeah. scenery. Yeah, everybody does a great job. Yeah. I mean, Ern fucking is just a... He's, um, he's, like your good mates. Yeah, he's he's quality throughout the whole movie, but like yeah. some of the villains are just like camping it up and I oh, love it. So yeah. uh, I have so much to talk yeah, about. I do, I, do, I do love the cops kind of energy and, and sarcasm and kind of attitude. Yeah. He could easily just be a nothing character, yeah. but he brings a lot, which yeah, is great. He really Absolutely. does. Yeah. I mean, he basically serves a story function, right? Yeah. yeah. So he, he could just serve a story function, but he doesn't. He makes yeah. that role his own and he brings hard and pathos to it yeah and it's also scene, like and it's also funny yeah this scene with the three of them yeah really brings that yeah because so yeah. sarah skates up how do you do that thing on a wet street pure talent <laughs> <laughs> i say that all the time and it's from this movie uh, he offers to buy her a hot dog but no onions because they make you fart big time <laughs> speaking of dialogue and just stuff that's like bar- like it's not even buried it's just like dialogue that you don't hear until you actually listen to it the next scene starts with, you know, Lake Erie actually caught on fire once from all the crap yeah. floating around in it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> At an arcade, T-Bird and his goons are smashing all the uh, arcade and pinball machines and they set up a timer for a bomb. This originally, there was actually a, a female character that was in this scene with them mm. that they are like torturing and talking to. And in the edit, they just go like bang, bang, bang. Here's all the, all the cuts. Because it's intercut with Eric Draven rising from his own grave in mm. the horror of being alive again. And Lee is fantastic in yeah. this section. Yeah. As T-Bird and his friends exit the arcade, they get into T-Bird's car, his kind of muscle car, and Eric cowers as the crow flies into focus. Yeah. Mm. And, and I fucking love this movie. Brandon Lee's... Physical performance of Thank that, you. the way he moves, yes. is just throughout the whole movie. Yeah, but it, like it's particularly noticeable in this particular bit mm. where he's like, and that's one of the reasons that he is he is so much better in this role than a Christian Slater or a Johnny Depp. Even if they could have done the acting very very well, Brendan Lee's martial arts background gives him a physicality that makes this movie iconic as fuck. Yeah, this yes. scene, the way he's like almost like kind of fighting against this like zombification of his body almost, yeah. right? Mm. And the scene where he jumps onto a table into a cross-legged pose oh, yeah. is just like 
you have to be the most physical person to do this. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and just all the way through it, like he's got his thinking about the way his arm is going to move. He's thinking about yes. the way everything is going to move. Well said. It's not just I'm going to go from here to here. It's I'm going to move my arm like this and I'm going to sway my body like that. And yeah. it's like it n- can't be in the script. His mouth work weirdly as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's thinking about his silhouette. And he's yeah. thinking about lines, uh, lines of his body because he comes from martial arts. What did we talk about in Best of the Best? Martial yeah. arts is dance. Martial arts is creating lines that are attractive. Martial arts for film is creating lines that are attractive to look at. And he does that all the way through this. Yeah. So true. And especially because a lot of his scenes, he's not talking. Yeah. Especially in this yeah. first half, he's kind of, he's less with the quips. He creates that character just through the way his body yeah. moves. Yeah. He tears off his own funeral clothes. The crow leads him to a nice pair of boots. Nice pair of yeah. boots. <laughs> nice boots. pair of lace-up skinny jeans. No, he finds those. Oh, okay. the, he's wearing his silver wearing his funeral pants right now. Uh, he okay. finds his skinny jeans later. Okay. <laughs> T-Bird's car passes the hot dog stand. Oh, what song are they listening to? I know that fucking song. Yeah, actually, it's one of yours. Oh, um, it is, I don't, I, I wrote down like almost every song in the movie and I don't remember what is playing in this scene. It's not there for very long. It's you not. like hear a couple of bars of it, but it's something that he, that Kian uh, plays all well, the time. Well, it's off the soundtrack, right? I don't remember what it is. I'll talk more about music as we move, as we okay. move through. T-Bird's car passes the hot dog stand. Bad people on the street tonight. Beep, beep, boom. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I say it like that is because that is the rhythm of the sound of the movie, and I know that innately. <laughs> the arcade explodes. Albrecht tells Mickey to call it in as he runs down there. Eric is following the crow to rooftops and into his old, old building. Yeah. So this is a mix of old and new. Pretty much anything where you don't see his face is a body double. And once he is in the loft, it's all a body double. There is a shot of Lee that is coming in the loft door. That is a reused shot that we saw only a few seconds ago of him in the alleyway, rotoscoped, so they've cut Lee out of the frame of him in the alleyway and composited him into the shot of uh, shot of him oh, coming through wow. the floor so you can see his face. The way they tie it in together, because it was raining in the alleyway, is they make it so that it's dripping water inside. So when he kind of like hits the wall, is that? No, when he comes in, comes into the, through the doorway of the loft. Right, okay. So him coming through the doorway. Oh, into the loft. Yeah. yeah. Him coming through the doorway is taken from the alleyway scene. Wow. You've already seen that shot. Wow. I didn't realize they had that kind of ability back then. <laughs> they didn't. Heck did. They, they figured they it out. They figured it out for this movie. Wow. And that is one of the shots that actually holds up yeah. for having been done in 1994. Seamless. I did not even notice it even on the HD version. Yeah. Eric touches his cat, Gabriel, his mm. white fluffy cat, and we start to get flashes of his and Shelley's murder. And I, I actually find this part pretty hard to watch. Yeah, um, I do too. Thank it, you for saying that. It's intercut with Eric re-experiencing his death in the ruined loft. And as I said, this is all none of this is part of the original scene. We do see T-Bird and his crew stab Eric, which is what was meant to happen in the original choreography, mm. before he is shot and thrown out the window. We get the fucking incredible shot of Eric swinging out of the window frame. Yeah. And into the air. And then as he comes back in, his hands are cut up and we watch as they heal. So the movie is giving us that exposition of the fact that he will heal when he's he's injured. Brandon Lee's stunt double on the original shoot was a guy named Jeff Cadiente. I think that's how you pronounce it. But for the reshoots, 
they wanted someone who was a better match for Lee's physique, considering that he is shirtless a lot through a lot of this. So Jeff Amada suggested a martial artist that he that he knew. Now Jeff Catalente kept working on the movie, right? So they didn't yeah. replace him. They just got somebody who was also a body a good body double. Do you remember when we talked about Rapid Fire? Well, we did. We kind of already touched on it. That Amada had trained with Lee when they were both kind yeah. of like teenagers yeah. in the same dojo, and so they were childhood friends. And then they reconnected in movies as adult as adults. Also in that class was a guy that Amada suggested. Oh shit! It's Chad Stahelski. And he was also a childhood friend of Brandon. Yes. He would go on to be counted. I've mentioned him so many times in this podcast. Yeah. Really? Know. Kira knows who he is. You would like to switch his memory. Names. He would go on to be Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the Matrix movies, and he is the director of all of the John Wick movies. Oh, hectic. He is Brandon Lee's body double. Say his name again. Chad Stahelski. Chad Stahelski. Fuck. John Wick movies don't use blanks. Yeah, of course. John Wick movies used visual effects to do all of the bullet flashes, all of the bullet ejections. Good. They don't use real guns. That is all created in visual effects. Fucking wild. Because Chad Stahelski worked on this fucking movie. Holy this shit. Is his, this is his first movie. Yeah. That's incredible. And he's doubling for Brendan Lee. Yeah. Had Look, he stayed friends with Brandon? I don't think so, but the, he had been in the same class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Stahelski at this point was a martial artist. He was like not a stunt person. This got him into stunt work. This got him the start of his career. Yeah. He does a really good job of fake of d- Brandon of Lee movements. Brandon. Yeah. yeah. So he Just, worked. Sorry, this sequence. I forgot how mysterious the start is and how you're not really told anything besides the crow mythos going into mm-hmm. it. Yep. And it's just such a fucking strong way to start. It's just like, okay, there's a crow and a dude crawling out of his grave, goes back to where he was. It's just such a strong the, – the rape scene was very hard to watch, yeah. even though it introduces the play with, like, colour mm-hmm. that happens throughout this movie. Yep, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, but, like, the start of this movie and its mystery – Unbelievable. Constructed con- entirely in the edit, not the way the movie was. Yeah, yeah, that's so what's fascinating it, about so how, this. What was it supposed I'm going to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to kind of stick Sorry. to my order because I am telling a, telling a tale here. Of course. Cadiente would work together with Stahelski. They would sometimes both shoot scenes. So he would do a version. Stahelski would do a version. Cadiente had worked with Lee and was kind of a better match for the way that Lee moved because they had already worked together as a stunt, as a, you know, stunt uh, team. And he would often coach Stahelski for how to move like Brendan Lee. At the pit, which is a dive bar, we get T-Bird, Skank, Funboy, and Tintin all doing shots with bullets. Yep. <laughs> My immediate reaction internally was just like, fuck you. Because <laughs> they just killed Brendan Lee in the scene earlier. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. It's really not their fault. So I'm going to talk about each of these actors in turn because they are all amazing. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk about them until they exit the movie. <laughs> so I'm going to save it okay, so okay. that I can cool, spread cool, cool. it throughout the movie because otherwise I would now spend 20 minutes talking about these fucking Great actors, call. Right? Great and call. I do love them. You should not eat bullets. No, I don't think it's a good idea. So no. I don't think it's part of a balanced diet. I feel like it would be very bad. Yeah. Idea. Can you imagine the uh, for your digestive tract? The the out. Yeah. Yeah. Be some rapid just... fire. <laughs> oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am curious about the candy bullets that you referenced. Yeah, they're just made out of candy. Mm. I wonder what flavor they made Sugar. the bullets. Licorice bullets. <laughs> 
Maybe licorice bullets. Licorice bullets. Probably just marzipan. They're probably oh, just, yeah. yeah, it's probably just sugary. It's not very, I don't really like marzipan. No. Yeah. So they're all kind of one-upping each other. <laughs> I mean, who does really, honestly? <laughs> They're all one-upping uh, one upping each other, and Skank ends up pulling his gun. Everybody pulls their guns and knives. They're all like... Sorry, it, we missed the tongue branding. It was fucking so oh, yeah, confronting. Oh, yeah, yeah but <laughs> does put out a cigar on his tongue. Yeah, and then shows the, like, marks yeah. afterwards. They're just, like, Whoa. Like, they're just being hardcore. Yeah. They're, just like, they're just dudes trying to one-up each other, except their version of one-up is, like, you know, self, self-harm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and swallowing bullets. Fire it up. <laughs> They're fucking so campy. I love it. Dala comes over with more shooters and tells them to put their guns away. <laughs> Scaring the customers. <laughs> uh, and Funboy Max onto Dala because they are together. Dala's subtlety in this scene is really, really nice. She comes over and is just like this like sadness with her. Yeah. so It's really interesting. I'm pretty sure that that actress's name is Anna Thompson. And she's not in a lot of things. She just show up in the first Bad Boys. She's, I thought so. I thought I knew She's like her. a assistant, like secretary in the first Bad Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She's not in, a lot, not in a lot of stuff though. Back in the loft, Eric sits at a dresser and touches a kabuki mask. He gets a flash of his life with Shelley. Is it a kabuki mask? A kabuki I thought it was mask. like a vaudevillian kind of mask. No, it's kabuki. Right. Where Where is this mask? Like what's the inspiration behind the mask thing? I don't really know. Yeah, it's such an interesting choice, visually best thing it's ever. James Hobart, it's in the comic, obviously, right? Yeah. Like it's that kind of faces in the comic. It's just about theatricality, yep. right? Yep. It's about uh, covering covering his face. I know right? I'm derailing you, but there's such a strong theatrical feel to this, oh. like a play-esque yeah. way to way this is blocked, lighted, everything. So we get flashes of his life with Shelley. These are all bits and pieces of what was sometimes whole scenes that had dialogue. The way that they're cut here Shelley doesn't have much dialogue at all in this movie. She only has mm. like one line here or there. She's played by Sophia Shinas. I think she's Greek. She was a singer. And aside from this, she's only got kind of a handful of credits. In the story behind the film book, it suggested that her role was minimized in this movie out of respect to Eliza Hutton, given how intimate some of the scenes were. Ah, uh, okay. It also just, I think it plays kind of better. I, I mean- it does mean that she's not kind of fully formed as a fe- she's not at all yeah. fully formed as a female character, but you do get a glimpse into the into the how happy their happy their life was, and Lee's charisma is through the fucking roof in these scenes. Yeah, yeah. where he's in the kitchen with her and he like laughs and hugs her because the pot is like overflowing and stuff. Yeah, he is so good. She's great too, but he is just so amazing. The um the editing around her in this film does add to a kind of frantic, frenetic kind of feel to it, which mm-hmm. goes with the emotional tone of the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And these are meant to be like traumatic flashes of his True, life, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So back in the loft, the score transitions into music. Eric smashes the dresser mirror. Mm. There's a shot of him in the mirror that's another composite shot of him smashed in the mirror. Interesting. And then he paints his face like the Kabuki past as the cure plays burn. What a and fucking look, hey. This movie is what made me love The Cure. Like, ah. this movie, I I was aware of The Cure, grew up knowing, like, fucking Love Cats and all the kind of, like, more poppier songs. And this is the movie that made me go listen to Cure records because yeah. it's The Cure fucking rule. <laughs> so all of this sequence of him getting dressed is added afterwards. It's all Stahelski. Mm. They have not shot this stuff. It ends with him walking to the window with the crow on his shoulder. And we pull out from the window to see the city 
in a flash of lightning, we see Lee's face. And that is the very first CGI face replacement in film history. Oh, wow. That's awesome. The, um, where he goes to in the cupboard and pulls out the, the box to pull out his clothes. Yep. What is what is that meant to be? Like, is that his like Just band outfit or yeah, something? Yeah, it's his band outfit. It's his, uh, it's, his, it's his rock clothes. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. And that's where he gets his skinny jeans. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. His, cool, 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 tight, cool, cool. And his tight, shiny shirt. At Gideon's pawn store, Tintin is selling stuff that he clearly robbed from somebody. What is this, yeah. Tintin, a bloodstain? <laughs> Tintin, the names of the villains. Fuck, they're good. Yeah. Sorry. Gideon screws him down for the loot. Gideon's played by the the late great John Polito. Yeah, you know John Polito, don't you? Yeah. You've seen him and stuff. He's you know amazing. why? He worked with the Coen Brothers a lot. Ah, right? he did too. We saw him in Highlander. Yeah, he is Walter the High Brender detective. Oh, he is too in Highlander. He's in Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, The Rocketeer, The Hudsucker Proxy, yeah. The Big Lebowski, Yeah, The Box, American Gangster. Every fucking TV show. Name a TV show from like the 80s and 90s. He was on it. He did at least <laughs> one episode. Yeah. Ellie goes to me, oh, I feel like he would be better played by Danny DeVito. And I was like, no, this guy brings <laughs> such a fucking level Sorry, of sleep. Yeah. Because like she obviously doesn't know this guy's <laughs> history. You cheap ass, chromed own, child molesting, sacrifice motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves and we hear Nine Inch Nails covering a Joy Division song which is a Venn diagram of my interest. Wow. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The song's called Dead Souls. Someone take these dreams away That point me to the day A jewel of personality The strange or true reality follow Eric running across the rooftops, which is just beautiful. Rain run. I love this rain run. This is like so 90s to yeah. me. You and know the what swing I mean? across between the two roofs and yeah. the jump. And like this is such a heavy um, uh, soundtrack, uh, video clip vibe. Yeah, because, yeah. Of, the, because of the music. Because yeah. this is like the era where if you had a soundtrack, it sold, right, yeah. for your movie. And also it made the movie kind of like more ingrained in the pop culture of the moment. Right? And like the iconic blue light r- rain run kind of shit. Oh, yeah. just so 90s. Opposite's got pain. No, it's not pain. It's your child getting excited by your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, friend. <laughs> Hello, friend. It happens whenever he goes on rants. <laughs> Baby just goes, happens way too often. He's just going to get his whole life. His whole life is just going to be podcasted. <laughs> we get Crow Vision. I love Crow Vision. Crow Vision. Yeah. On Tintin in an alleyway, Eric sees what the crow sees and it is leading him to those that killed him. Yeah. Yeah. I love how there's no explanation for his mission. It's just the crow going about his shit. And this is where I'm going to talk about the character that was cut out of the movie that explains his mission. Oh, <laughs> but I, I love how it sounds like it definitely needed to be cut. I, I think it. I think it's it. It's a good cut. It's a good choice because the crow is just like gives him this single-minded purpose where yeah. he can't dwell on shit too long. And You're it's going mysterious. out. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel yeah. like this is not going to be mysterious. It isn't, it isn't. The character that was cut out of the movie that is in the comic book is the Skull Cowboy. What? Oh, okay. Yes. And so they had filmed dead. some of this. Yeah. Is there photos? There's gimme, a gimme, scene. Gimme, 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 gimme. No, hold on. Mm-mm. So <laughs> in the comic book, he kind of appears like sporadically in Eric's visions. Like Eric has um, kind of like dreams that aren't really what really happened and the Skull Cowboy appears in them. In the movie, he was meant to be not Eric's guide, but he was there to kind of explain the rules. It is very vague in the script. I do wonder if even if Brendan Lee had not died, if it would have made it into the final to the final movie. We would have seen him when Eric comes out of the grave and he would have told Eric to follow the crow. So it is just like a verbal representation of what is played out on screen. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then later in the movie, he was going to stop Eric from going into the church to get top dollar because his mission is over. Okay. Eric is not meant to get involved with the with the living. Right. So he's like an old west cowboy that was also brought back by the by the crow. Right. That's yeah. Now stuck. Right. That is now there's now stuck, and he's like a rotting, desiccated corpse. Now they shot parts of the of these scenes with actor Michael Berryman as the Skull Cowboy in a lot of makeup. Berryman's the Dirt Master in the Barbarians. Hey, the Dirt Master, the guy who runs the pit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With the he he's the one that has that uh, that strange condition. Yeah, I feel Bob. bad that his whole character got cut there. But they only shot wide wide shots and close ups of the Skull Cowboy. They had intended to shoot the close-ups of Eric later, so none of the scenes that he shot were complete. They cut it out and replaced all of his exposition with Sarah's voiceover. See, you don't need that because you you because the crow and him are paired from the beginning, you almost feel like he just has this pool. Yeah, yeah. so it becomes visual storytelling yeah. instead of it being explained. And I think it's actually so much better without without that character. Does come a little less comic booky without that character. If you want to see what he looked like, yeah, there's a there's a whole rough cut of the scene in front of the church on, oh, on YouTube that Fantastic. you can just watch. Did it look cool or was it a little bit dodge? It's really unfinished because it was also going to be like visual effects elements and yeah, okay. as well. In the rough cut, it's Michael Berryman's recorded on location dialogue under a mask. Yeah. So it right. sounds terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. He's also not delivering the lines with a lot of gusto because they're just shooting wide shots and close ups sure. of, of something that they're going to re record later, right? Yeah. So the performance is not really there. Quit screwing around. Your job is done. The problems of the living are not your concern. It's not that easy. Get out of my way. You risk everything. I took that risk and lost. That's your story. You will go as a mortal alone. I'm already alone. Then choose. Choose and be damned. Eric versus Tintin. Holy fuck, the use of color, or rather the lack of color in this scene yep. is so fucking dope. Eric swan dies off a building, laughs maniacally. Yeah. <laughs> Lee had wanted to do that fall himself and they wouldn't let him. <laughs> so that is his stuntman. Halloween ain't till manana. <laughs> Tintin pulls one of his many knives and they fight. And Lee is just wild and fucking unhinged here. Yeah. Um, this is the best, I think, show of 
the fighting being not super kung fu-y but super impactful and tough. Yeah. So yeah. he ends up getting Tintin down and asks him to tell him a story. Why don't you tell me a story? A man and a woman in law a year ago. Your motherfucking mind. Listen! I'm sure you'll remember. You killed them. On Halloween. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, Halloween, yeah. Some do, some bitch, whatever, man. Her name was Shelly. Tintin... His responses are heavy. Yeah, it's he shagged her pink ass yep. and she loved it. Yeah, which I can't. is like fucking yeah. brutal. He ends up getting the upper hand because Eric is in emotional pain. Pulls his many knives. He's going to tell him about murder. It's fun. It's easy, and he's going to learn all about it. He throws his knives at Eric, who dodges and then just like the whacks them out away. of the way. Yeah, oh, that was tough. Telling him to try harder. Yeah. <laughs> I do find it funny Victims, in this scene. aren't we all? Yeah. I do find it funny in this scene. All right. So this is a really campy scene as well. Like, I think Tintin I don't know is- where you, I don't know where you're getting camp from, but I but I think that it's probably your definition of camp, but yeah. Yeah. Like, like hamming it up a little bit, you know, like really swinging the for mo- the fences. Okay. I would replace the word campy with, with operatic. The idea this of like is the old gothic, Batman is a campy is a villains, you know what I gothic mean? Gothic opera. Yes. Okay. Sure. 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 Yeah. That, yeah. Um, and that goes back to what I was saying. Out, it's almost a stage play as well. It's heightened, very heightened. Yes, I wouldn't say it's campy. Campy in the sense of like it, they're having campy fun. Usually with it. has a campy usually has a a different connotation. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 I'll rephrase. Campy's that. not taking the material seriously. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And camp true. is sometimes not intentional. Yes. Okay. This movie is very intentional. Yeah. There is a lot of fun being had with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that is totally not in the performance, but in the script, I was like, I'm going to introduce you to my two friends. Two buddies of mine. Yeah, but he has like eight knives. They never met. He's holding a few, he says a few buddies of mine. He says two, doesn't he? He says a few buddies of mine. Oh, okay. I know every line this man. Okay, okay, okay. Tintin's played by Lawrence Mason. Here's Lord Nikon and Hackers. Welcome to our show. Hack the planet. Hack the planet. Yes, thank you. Yeah. He has a small role in the start of True Romance, and he's still working, but mostly mostly in TV. He's good fun. His face is He's also really good in Hackers. He's fantastic in Hackers. His face is- We're definitely going to talk about Hackers. (laughs) Yeah, Matt. His face is is one of those ones where it's like, I know you, but I don't know where from. At Club Trash, T-Bird and Skank enter. The band playing is a band called Medicine. T-Bird is running his hands along a wall and runs it right over a picture of Eric and his band. Mm. This location, oh, wow. This is iconic as fuck for me. This is an abandoned cement factory outside of Wilmington. And you're like, <laughs> Ken, why do, what are you excited about an abandoned cement factory? <laughs> well, I'll fucking tell you. It's the location of Shredder's Lair in the 1990 <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, hectic. Kira just like, Kira just like dropped her head and like, oh my God. <laughs> Who have I married? Fuck yeah. Just, of course it is. Wait, where, am I thinking of the right place? Where like the skate ramps were and shit? The part where Shredder is introduced. Only effort, discipline, loyalty, earn the right to wear the dragon doji. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. I want you all to become full members of the foot. That is club trash. That's the same floor. It's the same (laughs) location. It's also where they built the city set 
for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, hectic. <laughs> from 1993. Where the hell are we? This is crazy. We went under the river, but th- this can't be Manhattan. Where is this place? I don't know. I ain't been to Manhattan in a couple of weeks. Must have been a bad couple of weeks. Okay. It shot yeah. there like right before the crow had been there. Hectic. Which is like, so three iconic movies for me from the <laughs> 1990s have used the same fucking cement factory. Yeah. This is the, I think, grungiest point of the film. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of grunge. There's yeah. some stuff later that's, uh, yeah, I mean, this is totally, again, grunge, right? Yeah. It's grunge and golf shit. It's yeah. Like, it's my wheelhouse. I kept calling it noir when I was like talking about it with Ellie, but this is gothic. It hardcore. is also it also it's goth noir. Yeah, it's yeah. it has noir elements. But I feel like yeah, one is an evolution of the other. Yeah, totally. Yeah. T Bird heads upstairs to report from the front and runs into Grange. Arcade games fell down, went boom. Yeah, Grange is motherfucking Tony Todd. Yeah, <laughs> the, the fucking Candyman himself. Candyman, those candy glasses. Candyman. Candy Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Those glasses. Stop cursing us. (laughs) He's also the personification of death in the Final Destination movies. Yeah. He's the funeral director in the first one. He appears in the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead where he plays the lead role, directed by Tom Savini. Oh, yeah. He's in The Rock. He's one of the soldiers in The Rock. He is too. And a million more movies and t- TV shows. Tony Todd rules. Yeah. Yeah. He's still, and also the like the more recent Candyman as well. Boss is in a meeting. <laughs> we find Micah and Top Dollar. I was not expecting that shower. <laughs> that yeah, shower scene. in the shower. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't remember this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> She comes over and sits with Top Dollar on the edge of a bed where behind them there is a woman who is naked and dead. Yeah. Top Dollar. Oh, is she dead? I thought she was just like in shock because they put too much drugs in her or did something weird. Well, there's a line in a minute that explains what happened. Okay. Top Dollar's holding a tiny snow globe of a cemetery. I I want that snow globe. (laughs) Dad gave me this. That's depressing, isn't Fucking it? Fucking hell, man. I'm going to talk about Michael Winkle right fucking now. Oh, man. He, he is, is amazing. He is Guy of Gisborne in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yes. Why oh, a fuck? I totally forgot about that. Why a spoon, cousin? Why a spoon, cousin? Why not a axe? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. Because it's blunt, you idiot. Dull. Dull. He's in Strange Days, Basquiat, Alien Resurrection, the Count of Monte Cristo, which is a oh fucking movie. Oh my God, great that's movie. such a good movie. Last year, he was in Nope. Oh, I still ah, haven't Jordan seen Peele. it. He's fucking great in that movie. He's Fuck. like, plays a crusty cinematographer. Yeah. He's amazing in that movie. He also shows up in the very first episode of Westworld. He's old Bill. The old coffin varnish. They don't make that like they used to. They don't make anything like they used to. Damn right, men neither. I've seen a few showdowns in my day. Both of them you know. <laughs> Shall we drink to the lady with the white shoes? Oh, 
Oh. And he is fucking great in it. Ah. His voice and his face together yeah. build this fucking just horrifying part of it. I don't know what it is. His voice is incredible. Can I yeah. just say as well, like, I don't know if there's any overlap at all, but I'm getting like weirdly Queen of the Damned vibe throughout like some of this. Queen of the Damned wishes it was this fucking movie. Yeah. Queen I- of the Damned is so clearly ripping off this yeah, movie. Yeah, thank you. Right. Yeah. You know that movie shot in Melbourne? Is it? Yeah. Hectic. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I really don't movie. like that movie. I love that movie. I really don't like that movie because it's so clearly trying to rip off this movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, Stat okay, okay. is trying to be Brendan Lee. Oh, for movie. sure. Stuart Townsend is not Brendan Lee. I feel like yeah, Stuart Townsend built his personality on Brendan Lee and the crew. Yeah. No one is Brendan Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Micah is played by Bay Ling. She's also in a ton of stuff, but not much that we would talk about, but she shows up in like Wild Wild West, Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. She's in Southland Tales, Crank High Voltage. She's in one, oh epi- my God. She's in one episode of Entourage early on. She's the trainer that I think she beats up Johnny Drama. She's oh, training yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. She's in Lost. She's in maybe the worst episode of Lost. It's the one that explains Jack's tattoos. Oh, no. Oh, yuck. That's she's, a terrible episode. She's, she's the woman that takes Jack to the tattoo artist. Oh, no. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate. I fully forgot her, but as soon as you said Wild Wild West, like it clicked. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> is she asleep? Uh, I think we broke her. Mm. And then Micah likes her eyes. So pretty. There's a lot more nudity in this movie than I remember. I mean, it's not really that. Yeah, but, like, I don't remember any. Okay. Yeah. It is a movie for adults. Yeah. It is yeah, R-rated in the US and is MA15 plus in Australia. Fair. Sarah skates into the pit. Inside Dala, who is her mother, is making out with Funboy. I love how that's never expressly said either. It's no. just cues given throughout the movie. She's busy. Oh, well, until later. Yeah. Dala gives her money for food and she's like, I already ate. A cop gave me food. Mm. I already hit into the police. Michael <laughs> Massey's correct. <laughs> Gideon is counting his money when a shadow darkens his doorway. Piss off with clothes. The like shadow slash silhouette of Eric walking up to the door and then looking through. And then he headbutts the glass. I love that. He steps through. The crow flies in and we rack focus to the bird in flight in close up. That's impressive. What? Practically? Yeah. Hectic. <laughs> Which in a movie full of beautiful complicated shots that might be one of the most complicated shots i've ever fucking seen in my life we need to because i know some people who are going to need that explained basically eric steps through the doorway and the bird flies in after him after the glass is broken and it flies into essentially a close-up of the bird yeah and so the the zoom is gonna not the zoom the focus the focus is shifting shifting from eric very quickly and rapidly. To the bird. To the bird. Because the bird's in focus. And it's not like you can do that by putting a mark on the where you, you don't need know the where focus. the bird is exactly. going to go. Because it's a bird. Holy shit. The bird except, doesn't know how to hit a mark. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Except those birds do know how to hit a mark. Oh. Because. They are very smart. They are very smart. Yeah. None of the birds in this movie are crows. They're ravens. They're ravens. Ah. Who. Look are like intelligent crows. and look like crows. Crows are still pretty smart. Ravens are way smarter. Ravens are way smarter. They say that ravens might have the, the brain capacity of like a, a three-year-old a, a toddler. Yeah. 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 When they started shooting, they weren't sure if any of the stuff with the birds was going to work. So it was they were very kind of tentative about what they attempted to do. But once they got started, 
they realized that they could get these birds to do fucking anything. The animal fucking trainer awesome. could get them to hit marks, fly through a certain area of space. There's one later where it flies into frame and eats a cockroach and then flies out of fr- flies out of frame. And Hectic. the timing of it is just like fucking superb, right? They realized that they could just start pulling shit off like this. Brendan Lee worked really hard with the birds in order for them to be comfortable with him. That's oh, that's adorable. I love that. They would land on his shoulder. They wouldn't be freaked out by gunshots. They wouldn't be freaked out by glass breaking. Wow. Like the animal handling work in this movie is insane. There are a couple of shots that are puppetry. Yeah. But only a couple. Most of I the time, assumed so much of it was. Most of the time it's just a real bird flying and hitting a mark. Wow. And then performing. Or like yeah. a composite where like it had none of this stuff. There going is some on. composite, this is some digital compositing of, okay. of like real birds in real birds in in flight. Yeah, yeah, over models and things like that. And we'll talk about that as I come. Okay. So as he walks in, he quotes The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Suddenly, I heard a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Is The Raven more of an inspiration than I'm thinking it actually it's is? It's just a connection to a piece of gothic literature that also involves birds. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. It's just tonal. Sure. It's just Poe. It's it's just a match. Yeah. Yeah. Gideon, of course, is like freaked out. Eric is looking for something in an engagement ring. Gold. You're looking for a car and a shit for brains. <laughs> Shoots him. But the hole heals as Eric grins. Yeah. I love how everyone is just so ready to shoot him and he's just so ready to be shot. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, tonally it's a weird thing to say, but in this realm of this movie, it's just a fucking cool thing. Yeah, he stabs Gideon's hand into the cabinet through glass, yeah. which is like, ow. ow. <laughs> uh, Tintin told him he pawned the ring here before he ran out of breath. Cut to Tintin. With all of his knives stuck into his organs in alphabetical order. I know love that's it. a line for later, from later, but I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Albrecht is talking to Torres. That's Tintin, one of T-Bird's little helpers. I think you can rule out accidental death. <laughs> Hudson is so great at this. He's so good. Don't any of your street demons have real grown-up names? Albrecht starts like kind of positing what could be going on, and Torres tells him that he's a bit cop, he should stay a bit cop. Mm. And then, what the hell is that? <laughs> We pan over to see that Eric has painted a crow in Tintin's blood. Oh, I love it. I call it blood, detective. I suppose you write it up as graffiti. Can I just say the work on what the crow symbol is? Yeah. So genius because it's just simple enough that you could like draw it. You yeah. know what I mean? Back at Gideon's, Eric finding Shelley's ring. Amazing. With his eyes closed. He's just yeah. lifting rings going, no, no, no. And then he feels it. Yeah. yeah. Because that's how that works. We get another flash of him proposing to her. He puts it on. Gideon's store has fuel cans in it for some reason. Yeah. I'm not going to question it. <laughs> he starts pouring fuel everywhere and tells Gideon he has one chance to live. He wants to know where Tintin and all his party pals are. They all hang out at the pit. He throws rings at him. Mm. Each one of these is a life, a life you help destroy. So good. He isn't, so good. He isn't going to kill him. His job is to tell the rest of them that death is coming for them. Yeah. Tonight. Eric Draven sends his regards. He pours the rings into a shotgun. This wouldn't work, but I love it. Takes a guitar. Is that gasoline I smell? (laughs) Gideon runs. He steps outside and fires the shotgun, and we see the rings in the flame of the shot. It's two shots cut together. Ah. So in the first shot, Brendan Lee fires the gun, and then there is actually a cut hidden in there that is probably the rings being fired out of some type of flame pot cannon situation Mm. on a stage 
at a camera that is protect, obviously protected with perspex. The explosion is like fucking massive for the yeah, amount of Yeah, I mean, the person, it would have been a, uh, like a, a, a mannequin standing yeah. at the front being him. Yeah. If that was someone in real life, yeah. they just got exploded. Gideon makes it out the back door barely. Yeah. He's blasted into a brick wall that he protects himself with by sliding down with his face. Yeah. That is a nasty stunt bump. He, f- like, is that actually the actor? No. Fuck okay, because I was like, Polito's that is like an already by an that older dude. man. Yeah. Yeah. No. Also, I just need to give a shout out for the dialogue through that scene that Gideon's just going, shit on me, <laughs> shit on me. Yeah. Such a comedic choice. I love it. At the pit, we get Color Me Once by the Violet Femmes on the uh, jukebox. That's a good time. The bartender tells Sarah, who's come in, she can't do anything about Dala because technically she's off right now. Yeah, real off. <laughs> Back at Gideon's, Albrecht arrives. Albrecht says, police don't move. I said don't move. I thought the police always said freeze. <laughs> well, I am the police. And I say don't move, Snow White. You move, you're dead. And I say I'm dead. And I move. Uh, both of them, so their good. charisma. You know how we like went on about the charisma in Rapid Fire mm-hmm. and how it's just like dripping out of like so many scenes and you can tell they're having a good, like good time. Mm-hmm. In this, you can tell they're having a good time. Yeah. Eric- they're like competing with each other almost to like be the coolest person in the scene. <laughs> Eric is surprised that Albrecht doesn't recognize him. How about Shelley Webster? Albrecht is uh, waiting for backup because this is too goddamn weird for me. Eric admits to killing Tintin. They're all dead. They just don't know it yet. Love that. Some of the people are looting the store, Gideon's store, and distracting Albrecht. The guy with the long hair taking the TV mm. is James O'Barr, the creator of the comic book. Oh, my hey. God. Yep. That's his cameo in this movie. I love that. Yep. Eric disappears on, Albre- on Albrecht. Great. Guy shows up looking like a mime from hell, and you lose him right out in the open. <laughs> well, at least he didn't do that walking against the wind shit. I hate that. <laughs> um, this fucking movie. I feel like even we spoke about how the – more recent Batman's lifted from from this film, mm-hmm. but I feel like even the Joker performance by Heath Ledger lifted from The Crow. Yeah, probably a little bit. Yeah, yeah like the there's just such a the, vibe to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean they've also got their faces painted with white makeup. Yeah, like, maybe it's just like me reading into it, but it's just I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. Yeah. Seems like the kind of movie that Heath Ledger would like, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Heath Ledger's just doing a Tom Waits impersonation in that movie, but that's fine. <laughs> I love it. He's still Tom Waits. It's fucking great. I love Tom Waits. Yeah, he's an amazing actor. Back with Top Dollar and Micah at, at Club Trash. Top Dollar doesn't feel the way he used to. He's lost that spark. He's Top lost that love and feeling. He's a little restless. Their energies are lining against him. Seeing is believing. So Micah obviously has some type of kind of witchy vision where she sees things by taking people's eyes and yeah. them in some type of ritualistic manner. I do just want to like point out that that is the whole like magical oriental vibe thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's of the time. Also, and I was going to talk about it later, but Top Dollar originally wasn't Top Dollar. It's a character called Lau. Oh, okay. They were both Asian. Top Dollar was more in T-Bird's position. Oh, right. Yep. So they've melded those two they characters. They combined those characters. Yeah. Yeah. In the background is Ghost Rider, played by Roland's band. Fantastic. It's a cover of a, a proto-punk band, Suicide. And yes, it is about the Marvel Comics character, Ghost Rider. Oh, uh, dope. It's a song from the late 70s. Very fitting because this is that kind of like yeah. Avenger thing. Henry Rollins had previously recorded this song for his first solo album after leaving Black Flag. The giant plate of cocaine, the top dollar taste. <laughs> Yummy. Grange and T-Bird come in. 
Grange tells him that Gideon's blew up. Top Dollar didn't give permission for that to happen. <laughs> T-Bird has trouble. One of his crew went and got themselves perished. There is like some of the lines you you got to cringe at. I don't cringe at that. That's but fucking exactly, wonderful. It's so stylized. The way that T-Bird speaks is amazing. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Top Dollar suggests a moment of silence for good old Tintin. It just starts a massive line. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say that before, but I didn't want to step on it. Yeah, he needs T-Bird to work for him tomorrow night. T-Bird's like, yeah, whatever you need. And he still hasn't heard the story on why Gideon's burnt down. We see the crow flying over the city. It's a model. Leading us to Sarah exiting the pit. Eric saves her from being hit by a car and has a flash of Shelly as he grabs her. Memory of Sarah and Shelly together yeah. when he grabs her. She asks him if he's meant to be a clown or something. Sometimes. <laughs> she wishes the rain would stop just once. It's more like surfing than skating. Can't rain all the time. Eric? I love that. She turns, but Eric is gone. And that is where we're going to end this episode because Kira wouldn't make it all the way through the movie. <laughs> and I want to have the energy this movie deserves. And it's justified. You're yeah. overheating and you're, and you're very pregnant. I'm very pregnant. Almost the most pregnant you will ever be. We can't do the things we normally do to end the podcast, but I guess we do socials. Uh, don't come back. Don't like. Don't subscribe. Don't do all the things. Do all At Wicked Video. We will be back next week with the second half of this wonderful, wonderful Brandon Lee film. Hey, well, uh, duh, I don't know. Uh, and... Can't rain, rain all the time. time. I love Brenton Lee. We love I Brandon love Brandon Lee. Lee. <laughs> 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 scene.